Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 156, and I am Aaron, and with me as always is Fredo and Dave. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, how you doing? So, man, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of a breather. Jazz Fest is done, um, and uh, we went we uh this past weekend uh we were there and it was it we were there okay it's going to be raining and then it uh it was just awful and so we left we're uh, we're trying to stick around but once we saw lightning it was like all right you know in the middle of a big field and lightning i'm out um but then we went the next day because melissa etheridge was playing and uh the one thing they have here's a diamond in the rough of uh jazz fest is the um i can't remember the name of the stage but it's it's in the grandstands where they do interviews with artists and i am just i mean if there's a documentary i'm a sucker for a documentary i love to listen to you know musicians talk about the creative process stuff like that so melissa etheridge was actually being interviewed and there were people complaining that she didn't play more i'm like she's going to be playing for an hour here in a little bit. And so just, I'd, I'd like to hear that process. Uh, but that's just a really good stage um, to, to, like I said, just get some insight on how that, and you get some AC, you know, so that's good. That's it's, it's always a different experience with jazz fest, depending on what it is that your ultimate goal is. Like for some, it's, I got to see X artists, whether it's Ed Sheeran or dead and company or Lizzo. And so their experience is we're going to where that stage is. We will plant ourselves right there and we will be there no matter what. And then, but if you don't have that expectation or if you're like, look, I want to hit this stage. I want to go into this tent. I want to go see uh, the artist village. I want to go grab this bite to eat. You know, you may sacrifice seeing a big artist up close or as close as Jazzers will let you, but you get a different whole vibe. It's a whole different experience then because then you're not necessarily rooted to one spot. Then you can, you know, hey, that sounds really cool. And you pop into the uh, into one of the tents and it's all the Puerto Rican music, which was apparently a big hit this year. It was really good. And you get, uh, or you go into the gospel tent uh, or you hear it go into the jazz tent. So it's a different vibe depending on what exactly you're after. And that's one, one thing I do love about jazz. Ones. You know, um, also I will say... Um... Mumford and Sons, if they come around and do a concert just on their own, you know, at the Smoothie King Center or something, I'm I'm there because you know mm-hmm. it was they sounded good. It's one of those where it's like they, I mean, this for for good or for bad, I don't know, but they sounded just like the record. I mean, it was a good mm-hmm. balance. The horns were good. Um, you know, it was just it was man. I was like, wow, this is really cool. But then we had to leave to go see another thing. So. Anyway. I heard them perform at Jazz Fest the, the last time they were at Jazz Fest, which was like, I don't know, se- seven years back-ish, something like that. And um, when they just went into the cave and just seeing the entire crowd singing along and bouncing along to that song, that was just, uh, that was a top, I don't know, 15, 20 experience for me at a concert. That was just incredible to witness live. Um, so, yeah, very much agree um yeah. they are, they put on a good show so anyway but like i said it's a jazz fest is kind of like mardi gras where it's like it's great that it's here and it's kind of good that it's now gone because it's just like if you go 
even if you don't go, it's like, it feels like those weekends are just like, you know, it's kind of tough to get around in some places and it's, you know, it's just hectic. So now it feels like we're taking a breath a little bit. So anyway, there's so much random stuff there too. It's like you, like Freder was saying, you can get into so many adventures. We, we were in the grandstand and there was a food demo going on and didn't have any well, idea they were doing food demos. I, I mean, there was one year that, um, we wanted to see Kermit do his, um, Louis Armstrong tribute. And, but it was like coming up in about an hour and rain, it started to rain. And so we're like, let's just jump in the tent just so we don't get wet. And there was an artist playing. It was Layla McCalla, who is local artist. And she does like, I mean, talking about trad stuff. She's doing, she's singing in French Creole playing banjo. And we're just like, totally in love with this music and this artist from just, and it was, we wouldn't have known anything about her, but we just didn't want to get wet. And it was like, Holy yeah. crap. It was like, that was better than Kermit set. Um, you know, so that is, that happens a lot. I beg people when, if you, you allow yourself, set. if you yeah. allow yourself, like Fredo yeah. was talking, if you just park at one stage, you know, that's why I think, I'm sorry, Dave, I interrupted you, but that's yeah. the thing I do. I, I feel I, you know, it's one of those things where you pay for the ticket and it's like, I've only watched like 10 minutes of this artist, then I'm moving over to another and you almost feel like, did I get my money's worth? You know, but it's like, yeah, you did because, um, there's only a few artists. Like we saw all of Melissa Etheridge's set because that's Brittany's favorite among favorites. When Pearl Jam was here, it was like my second time seeing Pearl Jam. So I was, you know, not going to miss that. But otherwise we're like, We'll catch about 15 minutes of a set and then we'll move on. And it's just kind of like going to a buffet. So if you allow yourself, otherwise, if you yeah. just eat, if you just eat chicken. And you know, and you know what the thing is, there's nothing wrong with you. you just want to eat the chicken. Like I said, everybody, it's a good expectation saying what they're after is different. You know, I'll never forget, you know, some people show up first, they're out there at the gate and they open the doors and they go run right to the front of, uh, whatever the big stage name is now, the main stage used to be the Edgar stage. I'm not sure if that's that anymore. But ultimately, they festival go to the front stage. Okay, festival stage. I apologize. And they go there, and that's where they stand. And they, you know, it, you know, if if you've never been there, you don't understand. There's an area where you stand, and if you're trying to bring a lawn a chair to sit, you got to sit back. So anyway, a lot of people go to the very front where that is, plant their chairs, put their flags, put their umbrellas, and that's their spot. And sometimes they'll loiter around but that's what they come back to whereas the people standing they want to be close as possible to the stage because there's an artist they have to see and it's like okay as long as you get that that's your jazz fest cool for others yeah for me I've, every time i've done it the few times i've done it it's been kind of let, let me try this out for like 20 30 minutes yeah, okay that's cool or hey that sounds interesting let me swing by and check it out it's again different vibes different experiences now if there was somebody I absolutely positively had to see I might do the other, I might just go for the chicken uh, uh, variant of jazz, but it's just, I'm not leaving, you know, kind of thing. And by the way, I don't know, Dave, if you had any problems. I had no problems with the cashless stuff. Um, and, and it was, um, we did notice one time, one day when we were out there, it was like our phones, we didn't just have just LTE. It was going to SOS. It was like, <laughs> we had nothing. And we're like, wow, they, I mean, this is, if they're trying to do, you know, this whole cashless system and everything, 
And it was the next oh, day no. we noticed for the first time, we noticed like uh, cell towers. So they, you know, I think they, they figured it out. They had to up their network because the next, then the next day we went, it was just fine. Um, but anyway, um, that's for another podcast at some point, but <laughs> somebody else can cover the, uh, the, uh, controversy of cashless system at, uh, jazz fest, but we're here to talk star Wars. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about our favorite droids. Three favorite droids. Anyway, that's my three sons. Um, so I'm going to I'm, I'm going to do my best Karnak, and I'm going to say I'm guessing that um, all three of us will have the same droid at some point. Um, I'm going to guess that one, um, unless somebody's going to be a rebel. Uh, but um, I'm also going to say there might be some controversy. So, um, but we'll also talk about, I think there'll probably be a lot of honorable mentions, uh, stuff in there, but, uh, but first let's start off with some trivia. Um, so here we go. All right. This is interesting. Well, I, that's the first one I saw. So, okay. Sorry. Fredo to you. Okay. What article of clothing does Luke begin wearing midway through Return of the Jedi? A glove. Yeah, is it midway through? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's I'd say like, a third of the way through, but anyway. Yeah, that's 45, okay. 50 minutes, because, yeah, because the rescue of Han takes place about an hour. Yeah. You know, it's completed and he puts it on as he's flying away from Tatooine. So, yeah, a third is more accurate. All right. And, uh,. And Dave, we talked about it last week. You you went and saw Return of the Jedi in the theater, right? Yeah. We, we did talk yeah. about that. Okay. Um, cool. Um, let's see here. All right. Well, to Dave, what species are the gangsters who dominate the economy of Tatooine? Oh, uh-huh. oh but however, now with the Mandalorian we and Book of Boba Fett, there could be... That question becomes interesting. But this is the saga, so yes, it is the Huts. But it could be the Pikes. Um, anyway. All right, to me. Who describes the second Death Star as relatively unprotected? Ooh. Hmm. This is one of three people. It's either Mon Mothma or um, Admiral Akbar or Crix Maidine. Hmm. Describes the second Death Star as relatively unprotected. Um, I am going to say Mon Mothma. Ah, I am right. Ha-ha. And by the way, I was watching Return of the Jedi on uh, TV at some point, And I don't know. I think that they did an awesome job fi- uh, making the just making Genevieve O'Reilly fit with the the actress who played her in return of the Jedi. Um, it just, it works, but I bring this and you guys are nodding, but I heard another podcast talk about, they said if they can do that with, you know, they have Jenny Vivo Riley playing Mon Mothma in, um, episode three and in rogue one and in Andor and then have a different actress player in um, Return of the Jedi, and then have Mon Mothma come back in um, Ahsoka, 
with, as Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, then that means that post Return of the Jedi, we could have Alden Ehrenreich do Han Solo. I firmly disagree with that statement, yeah. but I leave it to you guys. Now, the only thing I was going to say is the level of fan attachment to Mon Mothma was never <laughs> to the same degree as Han Solo. So that's what creates the disconnect there. It's, you know, Mon Mothma was a secondary character who was in one key scene in the third movie of and the trilogy. She was one of the three main characters in the entire trilogy. And with all due respect to Genevieve O'Reilly, I'm a big fan but she is not Harrison Ford. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it, it's like it. So yeah, I would, it was one of those things they posed it. Would you rather have, if you're going to bring Han Solo in, would you rather have, um, you know, Alden Ehrenreich and, or do the de-aging thing with Harrison Ford? And I'm, I'm actually, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm actually in, door number three where i'm saying you know i don't want to see any more luke leia or han in any of these post return of the jedi shows i'm good i am not a huge fan of the luke that we're getting and i think i've established that on this show before that that there's something a little bit off about the digital work that they do with that, but I'm way more okay with that than Carrie Fisher um, because he has consent. He, he's alive. He can offer his consent. And I know her estate would do try to do right by her, um, but it's just, I, and it rubs me the wrong way thinking about these people who are no longer with us, having their images plastered onto these movies and TV but shows. What's that? Let's look at it from this way. So I know this wasn't our topic and I sprung this on mm -hmm. you guys and we don't have to spend too much time on it. But let's let's say let's let's say that uh, Carrie Fisher is still alive and and um, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher would all be like, you know, there's sure we'll do it. Do we need do you want those might be two different questions, but given the story that we have going right now does Han, Luke, and Leia need to be involved in it? I don't need to be. I mean, yeah. it, it seems to be like, I don't know, it was interesting. I saw a meme that said what Star Wars fans wanted, and it showed Lando and Han and Luke and Leia in the Millennium Falcon, and, you know, and then they said what Star Trek fans got and showed all the, you know, cast, you know, like they got in Picard. And I'm like, that's not necessarily what I wanted. I I, it wasn't it wasn't like i was excited we were getting new star wars it was like i so i didn't feel gypped at the end of force awakens when i didn't see luke skywalker uh -huh. i was okay i kind of dug that ending um it made sense when han solo died you know so i don't know aaron uh, you clued yeah. me into the um uh ilm uh, show on Disney Plus, and I, I, I would echo you in, in recommending that to people to sit down and watch through the ILM stuff and the making of and learning how this company came to be. But I was particularly struck by the Jurassic Park uh, content because, again, these were people that they knew they could do a lot of this digital work, but they didn't go 
all the way in with it. They were like, we still have to do some practical stuff. We still have to limit ourselves. We can't do whatever we want. We can't just go willy-nilly with this. And I just think like that level of restraint is a good thing. And and I think like you see this over and over again when it comes to some of these special effects where they don't look convincing and they become problematic. And some, even getting into questions of ethics we were just discussing um, with people who have passed on. I I just stay away from it. It's like you don't have to do it, so, so, so don't do it. For me, from a story from a story wise standpoint, I guess I go. It's not necessary to shoehorn our beloved characters from the original trilogy into this. It's nice when they make a natural progression. Like somebody like Mon Mothma makes perfect sense in Anvil. We know that her character was established as a leader in the rebellion. We, you know, whether it was in the Legends world or now in the new world in the in the new region of continuity she's always been that so the fact that she's there makes sense and i love the way that they integrated luke leia and on in the sequel trilogy because again it made a little bit of sense to have them in there to put them back in right now in the post jedi world kind of the mandoverse element of things i don't know there's no you know it would feel kind of weird and also i mean from a you know from a story sample like you always got to go back to these characters it's like the, the galaxy is big enough. You don't have to keep returning to the same character. It makes sense that Lucas in there because he's the one Jedi character that we know of besides from Ahsoka and um, Cal Kestis and uh, Ezra Bridger and uh, all the other ones that we didn't know we had. But Luke being there kind of makes sense. But Leia and Han, particularly at this point in the timeline, they're supposed to be married happily, raising a little kid. So, you know, they really shouldn't be in the middle of all this stuff, particularly because it's all plain at the edges of the galaxy so yeah i don't know if we want to bring him in and we'll talk about it later but i mean i I also find it that um you know like with the leia because you could make an argument that it's like wow where they're at you know in the storyline you know leia in the books you know that's in canon she's heavily involved but it could be we we don't have to see leia at all it could just be a throwaway line of yeah princess leia is on this planet you know handling this blah 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 and you know she could be that you know just off screen type of you know but anyway um i just i just found it interesting but dave i think you bring up a good point about the ethics i mean because i'm you know there's big talks about ai and everything like this it's like you know i'm even thinking like i wish they would go back and fix rogue one with the um with the darth vader voice that we got in kenobi but at some point you know James Earl Jones ain't going to be around to say, yeah, go ahead. Maybe he's already given that. I, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, because of technology, just because you can, should we? Um, and that's Jurassic Park again. Um, but anyway, like I said, I took us down a rabbit hole. I apologize. But uh, it's all good. Um, anywho, um, we got some news. Um, Fredo. So, so, so talking about uh, you know rabbit holes and curveballs, can I throw a curveball because we are the Huda Jedi, and what came out just an hour ago was the Saints 2023 schedule. Oh, I Our thought you were going to talk about Muppets Mayhem, which by the way I can't <laughs> wait to see. That was on Wednesday though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just right quick, uh, yeah, I mean we're not going to go over the whole schedule. It's just I'm just going to highlight a few little spots just for Aaron's procurement. So season begins September 10 on Sunday. 
uh, at home against the Tennessee Titans. That's a noon game. We only get one Monday night football game, which is the following week at Carolina. And we get two, not one, but two Thursday night games. Uh, Thursday, October 19, Jacksonville Jaguars at home. And Thursday, December 21st at the LA Rams. So if you feel like spending Christmas in La La Land, you're welcome to do that. The rest of the slate so far is a big old Sunday at noon, Sunday at noon, Sunday at noon slate, both, both home and away. Uh, we do play the Bears again, so if you want to you know, let go out with Colesby again <laughs> for a for a for the rematch, you know, no. But uh, and then we have a bye week on week eleven, so and we finish the season TBD against Atlanta at home. So, by the way, if worst we're in the playoffs. Worst time, worst time for a football game is the three twenty five slot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah, well, you don't have to worry about it this year. It looks like unless we get something. Uh, rotated or yeah. flexed. Yeah. Uh, no, it looks like everything's going to be a nice Sunday noon situation outside of those three games. No Sunday night games. Uh, just what's that one Monday night football game? So, and you know, you get the stuff like, hey, if you want to go to Green Bay, that's early in September, so you don't have to deal with, you know, negative eight degrees with the wind chill and ten feet of snow. Same thing with uh, if you want to go to New England and see that game, that's early in October. So not 40 degrees, you're not, you're not going to half. Fredo sounds yeah. like a travel agent. <laughs> all, I'm saying, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, you know, I think the coldest we'll get is at Minnesota in early November. That's a, that's a dome that's a, though. That is a dome, but, but outside it's not dome. That's all right. You got to trek to the 10 miles of snow. You know this better than I. Just run like so, hell. Uh, exactly. So that's, that's pretty much it. It'll be interesting to see how things go. Knock on wood. But yeah, uh, anyway, uh, moving right along to Star Wars news. So the first uh, bit of Star Wars news that came out this week was uh, we discussed last week how the Writers Guild of America strike was going to impact or not impact some of the Star Wars productions, which, by the way, apparently the Directors Guild of America is also in talks with the movie studio. So as is the Screen Actors Guild, so we might have a triple strike come the summer of writers, directors, and actors. But, oh, my. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, Tony Gilroy, the showrunner for Andor, has announced that he's stepping down from any non-writing duties because he's not just the writer, he's also the showrunner slash producer. So in a statement, Gilroy uh, apparently had gotten some criticism that he was still working, even though he's not supposed to have been writing it, you know, uh, apparently, on fr- last Friday, the scripts have been completed, but he's still contributing producing services to the show. So that got into some of the Writers Guild members' call because, like, wait a minute, you call it not writing, but you're still kind of doing creative aspect or creative work. So he released a statement saying, quote, I discontinued all writing and writing-related work on Andor prior to midnight, May 1st. After being briefed on the Saturday showrunner meeting, I informed Chris Kaiser at WGA that I will be also seizing all non-writing producing functions. So there's no confirmation from WGA, but in Lucasfilm declined to comment. But basically, long and short of it is, he's handed off a lot of his work to somebody else. He's just stepping down, and well, hopefully that will not impact production. Well, it's interesting, not just impact production, but I, you know, Disney uh, did their earnings call, um, and. Disney Plus numbers are 
it depends on how well it depends on how you look at it 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 depends on how you look at it it's like in certain if like reading through the numbers i was reading through some disney blogs it's like yes it's down if you look at it this way but it's actually up in you know or staying steady in other places um but i guess it it gets to the question of you know what would happen if you know disney decides you know what we we just can't do this anymore would would lucasfilm continue to develop these things and maybe put it on you know put their shows on hulu um because disney owns i mean hulu well, they're, um, they're supposed to be merging supposedly hulu is going to be uh, one of the sections of the disney plus's app you know when you open it you get the marvel the star wars the disney the pixar hulu's going to be one of those slots that's now. but this is the thing that 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 worries me is that I'm like excited for all this star Wars stuff. And then all, what if, but what if it's like the platform isn't making them money and they're like, all right, so we're pulling the plug on everything. And then we don't get, <laughs> maybe that's why uh, they announced movies. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, here's the problem. I mean, Disney makes a lot of money and Disney needs product to make a lot of money. So the fact that uh, you're always going to have a certain point. I mean, everybody was ready to just fork over their seven ninety nine to the miles to get Disney Plus when it first came out. And back then, they only had one original show, which was actually they had two. They had The Mandalorian, which had one episode, and they had uh, that uh, Natural Geographic show with Jeff Goldblum. That was it when when it first premiered. Uh, as they've added more content and more stuffs come in, it's become their hub, so to speak, particularly through the pandemic. The reality, though, is they are spending major production money on stuff to in order to get what used to be seven ninety nine, and it's now ten ninety nine, twelve ninety nine. You know, with ads, without ads, so uh, they're they're looking always to get more money because well, that's how they live. And we ain't going back to DVDs and VHS either. I mean, uh, now they're even saying they're going to start pulling stuff from Disney Plus, much in the same way. You remember when they used to be? Oh, this is going back into the Disney Vault. If you don't buy the VHS right now. You will not see it for a generation. Well, they're making it sound like they're going to go back to that model. I mean, Disney lives off of and thrives off of this dynamic, and I'm not surprised that they're doing well, it. Well, it's, it's a forced, uh, it's a, you're driving demand. You know, right. you, you take it away from them, they're like, oh, I, I got to keep it just in case they release it, you know, or they'll come back out in couple of years and return of the jedi is on you know disney plus and it's like oh i gotta get it even though we all have a gazillion copies of it anyway yeah the fomo is a very real driver for a lot of people um when it comes to these sorts of nintendo does the same thing right where they'll release x number of a game uh and, and sort of create scarcity and then people are like, oh, I got to buy this thing because I may not be able to later on. You know, but um, however, the thing is, I, it, it's it's and this might be wrong. This is my expectation, because if when we're talking DVDs and VHS, I can go buy my copy of the Star Wars trilogy. And then if Lucasfilm decides we're pulling them all off the shelf, that's fine. I've spent my money and I've got my trilogy and I can watch it whenever I want. Now, if we're going to this, like I said, where it's we're going to start phasing out dvd when's the last time you bought a dvd anyway we phase these out and so i subscribe to disney plus i think there's kind of an expectation that the star wars catalog is going to be on there that the disney catalog is going to be on there 
You know what I mean? It's because I can't go purchase my own copy anymore, you know, and they, then they pulled off the shelf. It's, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but, but it is Dave, it's like you create the scarcity, then it's going to, you're going to, maybe people will drop their subscriptions, but Hey, we're bringing the, you know, whatever catalog back on Disney plus and you resubscribe. I'd really like to see them not uh, overreact, overreact in either direction. Yeah. Um, to say like, oh gosh, we've got to make this back into a a la carte mode um, because this isn't working and it just reeks of panic. And I think we're going backwards at that point. Um, likewise, you don't have to funnel billions of dollars into something that isn't working out for you in the way that you hoped it would. Uh, you can cut back. You can um, do Spend fewer smarter. shows. Yeah. Um, you know, pick the show that you really want to produce that you feel confident about and do that one and make that one your subscription driver. Um, and again, like if you have this reservoir of content, there are a lot of people that will pay the monthly thing just to have access to, you know, like you said, the original trilogy and all the old Disney movies. I got kids, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> worth it to me to have access to all this Disney content at, at the, at my fingertips when it's like my kids are arguing and we got company and I can't get them to shut up. It's like, I'm picking a Disney movie. I'm putting it on right now. Y'all are watching a Disney movie settled. Um, like that sort of peace of mind is yeah. just like mammoth for, for somebody in my position. So um, there's still a market for this stuff. And I think like, that's the thing that they need to please keep in mind. Uh I don't want I don't want to see them like throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Yeah, you know, the last thing I'll say is however, like you talk about it's like they don't need to spend a gazillion dollars on all these things. It's like sorry folks, I'm leading into the next story. Don't really need skeleton crew. Mm. You know, if if oh. we if we're you know, if we're going to start, you know, kind of need to start whittling you know things it's like would you rather see andor or would you rather see skeleton crew would you rather see you know it's like going to the eye doctor i mean that may end up being right now you know lucasfilm's been able to make all the things they want you know but they might have to start picking and choosing and that's kind of the question that i was gonna have because we don't know what skeleton crew might matter or not but it's more on the lines of do we need to have four Marvel shows, the four Star Wars, three or four Star Wars shows. Do we need to have all this? You know, there is, you know, the natural model of the you know, streaming has been put out new content every month because that keeps the, the subscribers happy. Hey, I'm getting a new show. I may or may not like it, but at least I'm getting something new. And if I don't like it next month, I'll get a new show that I may or may not like. But I think a lot of times what, what you're finding is that the way people view stuff is not the same. Like they want to be able to watch what they want and that's it. They're not necessarily sticking around. It's not like uh, the old school network model where, you know, you put uh, friends and at, at eight o'clock at night, Seinfeld at nine and somewhere in the middle, you could fill it with whatever you wanted and people will watch it because they're waiting for the other show. Well, it, was, it was what the NBA did in the eighties where they, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Lakers played the or the Celtics played the early game and the Lakers played the later game and everybody watched NBA all Sunday long. Anyway, right, right. Um, I would also like to acknowledge just that this makes me a little nervous 
Um, and it's not a like a, a huge discussion point that we even need to go down the road of like, is he doing the right thing? Are the people who pressured him doing the right thing? You know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, him not being there to guide the second season makes me feel less confident about it turning out as well as season one. Right. Right. It's it's a possibility that, you know, much like the last uh, strike impacted so many productions and shifted so much so much of the came out afterwards, we might see the impact of that in the latter stages of the Android. But uh mentioning right quick skeleton crew, well, there was an interesting interview happening during a speaking of uh synergy during an ESPN broadcast, an ESPN hockey broadcast of that. So Jaleel White, Steve Urkel to you, me and anybody who's under forty or over 40, uh, was a guest of honor of the Edmonton Oilers as they're battling the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. So he was being interviewed, and here's what he revealed. Quote, I'm actually going to be in a new series on Disney+, Plus, starring Jude Law called Skeleton Crew. It's coming out in November, November, December, and it's part of the Star Wars universe. So that's a big change for me, man. I had to do two hours of makeup every day. I get to play a pirate. End quote. So, first of all, fun that in, a, in, a, in an ESPN, a.k.a. a Disney-owned property, a Disney-hired employee is saying, hey, surprise, I'm going to be in this. You know, what a total shock that you have to ask me about it. You know, synergy, synergy, did you guys, sure. Do you guys ever catch that the, the Pelicans players, they say that uh, C.J. McCollum looks like Stefan Urkel? Oh no! He does. It's like you know when oh Steve God, when Steve yes. Urkel went from you know nerd to like hot guy. It Ooh, looks exactly yeah. like C.J. McCollum. It's awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't necessarily know that that's a badge of honor there, or that's a that's a comparison that's done in uh, in kindness. Because <laughs> okay, Steve Urkel, Stefan Urkel was a cool version, but it's still Steve Urkel in the meat. So mm. It's interesting. So yeah, Steve Urkel's gonna be playing a pirate. Uh, you know, we know we already know one pirate that's going to be in what's there the, from a. All right, everybody. A vein, vein. What's the over under on his character saying? Did I do that at some point in the it's show? Just, oh no! I'll no. set it at one. I'll set that. I'll set the over under at one. Under. I under. please, please <laughs> under. Depends on who's who's direct who's writing and directing Skeleton Crew, because if it was John. Uh, John 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 Watts, the gonna, guy did the Spider-Man trilogy. Well, I was going to say if it was John Favreau, then I'd say you'd, it'd be a fair bet that he's going to say it. I don't know. We'll see. That, that's kind of cool. Now, now, what you could do is you could have some sort of mistake that he does, and he turns back, looks at the camera, and he just about as he's going to say it, it cuts to black. All right. Well, with that, mm-hmm. let's move into some droid talk. My three droids. Na, 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 Joy noises na, go here, na, Dave. Na, 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 na. All right. So um, we're each. Uh, I, this was kind of Dave's idea of. Uh, we we haven't really talked about uh, you know our favorite droids before. We never have. Um, so let me ask before we go because we we each got three and then we'll probably talk about some honorable mentions. But let me ask you really quick, uh, like just give me the elevator pitch of what was your criteria for choosing? Dave, I'm going to start with you. What was your criteria for choosing your three favorite droids? I don't know if it needed to be this, but for me personally, it's primarily humor. 
and okay. comic relief and how much they make me laugh. Okay. Fredo? Uh, for me, it was all about personality. I think the difference between a Star Wars droid and a lot of times the droids that you get in other sci-fi productions is that in other, in other uh, media, they feel very much kind of like a lamp or a edge trimmer, you know, they're function. They're not necessarily characters per se. Whereas I think with Star Wars personality, it's everything for a droid. If you get a, you know, whether you're talking about C-3PO to whatever, you know, the personality, each droid, even if it's made to look alike, like some of the other droids, you know, there's gotta be something that makes them stand out. And that's really what, what I kind of went with. For me, it was uh, emotional attachment. Just I'll just leave it at that. It was emotional attachment um, because there's probably for each of these, um, each of mine. They it was like um, if something happened to them, my reaction to that. Because I mean, if and if uh, if I was watching an episode, I probably just gave a little bit away. But if I'm watching an episode, you know, did they? was I happy that they were a part of that episode? Um, so, um, yeah, emotional attachment. So, all right, well, let's, uh, um, and are we, so are we going from like in, uh, kind of an order reverse type order. thing? Um, so, all right, so reverse order. Um, so I'm going to say number three for me. Um, and this was a, I, I was very surprised by this. Not that I chose it, but I was very surprised that it became one of my favorite droids. And that was Chopper. I'm picking Chopper from Rebels. Um, I'm going to tell you that the first time I saw Rebels and I saw Chopper, I was annoyed by all. I didn't like him at all. And now he is, I've, I've got his action figure. Um, it became, I loved his, like to Fredo, to your point, I loved his character. Um, he was, if there's any of the droids that swore, I mean, R2, I think, swore. Um, but, I mean, Chopper, you know, was it was like Kenny from uh, South Park. You know, you could um, kind of tell what he was saying. Um, but he was, he was just antagonistic. He was loyal. He was, I mean, the, I mean when he and Ezra were in uh, on Tatooine and his power went out, Again, there's that emotional attachment. I was like, oh, <laughs> and then seeing Ezra's reaction to it, um, uh, it was so. Yeah, Chopper was was my number three. Yeah, it's uh, uh, the 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 running gag is that he is quote unquote a terrorist, and that in a world of R two D two being the lovable dog, he's the cat of Star Wars. Meaning, he follows no flag. He does what he does. He takes orders. Uh, because he has to, and it's only Hera's. Everybody else can just bounce sand, according to him. So it's kind of hard not to love Chopper. I will have more to say about Chopper in a little bit later. Okay, as a little spoiler tease. All right. Do you want to go next, Dave? Sure. Um, and again, there's going to be some crossover here. I'm I'm guessing. And uh, Aaron, when you originally posited that uh, there might be a droid that makes all three of our lists, uh, this one might be it. Uh, and the, coming in third for me is K2SO. 
That is a bad idea. I think so, and so does Cat. Um, which is one of the great comic characters uh, in the history of Star Wars, for my money. I mean, his turn in Rogue One I it just had me rolling. Like, he... I mean, every time he opened his mouth, there was something hilarious coming out of there. And um, I think, like, again, like, my criteria here was mostly humor, right? Um, and and it just the, the amount of um, tension relief that you get from that character over the course of the movie is, is, is so good and so great. Um, but he ends up being this tragic character, too. Um, and by he's the one when he gets cut down late in the movie, you know everyone else is in peril at that point. So this and, will be this will be one that's a crossover because yeah, it's he he made my list, and I'll talk more about him later because mine again was about emotional attachment. But to your point, um, the thing I dug about it, he's like the only droid that was actually an integral part of the cast and part of the crew it wasn't like he wasn't there just for comic relief or cutaways or anything like that i mean he was piloting the ship he was navigating. he was problem solving it was you know it, so i th i thought that was an interesting change in how they used a droid i was back on that with one with my choice okay. in just a little moment go ahead dave uh, he wasn't behind a wall of beeps and boops either. Right. When you talk about him being like an integral member of like the cast and the crew, um, like fully realized character, somebody you cared about. Um, again, highly useful to the mission, not just there for the gags or to plug um, into a wall socket. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, like, uh, a valuable member of the team. And I think like, that's why when he gets shot the heck and back, uh, and gets taken down, it's very, it's just, it's so affecting. It's heartbreaking when it happens. Cause again, it, 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 it tells you what's good, uh, what's in store for everyone else, but like on its own merits, God, you don't want to see that happen. And it does. So, well, for mine, and actually this is where I'm pushing back slightly on what Aaron said, because I think L337 did everything that K2SL was doing in terms of piloting the ship, being a member of the crew. And I mean, when she dies, it's, a, it's a, affecting as any character. But I think part of the reason why I picked her to start off with was it does something different than any other, than most other droids do. Like I said, Dave. She's not behind a series of beeps and boops. She's voicing and expressing herself. It's a fully formed character that stands equal to Lando or Kira or, you know, in their, in their story. So has her own goals and expectations of what's going to happen. So I think that that's, you know, creates a whole different side of what we get out of the droids. A lot of times uh, in Star Wars, we get droids that are subservient to the non-droid characters. She was not. She was on equal footing in so many ways. So to see her pass away and get shut down was kind of sad. I, I, I pushed yeah. back just a little bit because this is, I struggled with this one. Be, my pushback? Yeah, I, I struggled with this one a little bit because she didn't make my list. 
and I, I do love the character, but my problem was that she was only in a sliver of that movie. I think they shortchanged that character. They shortchanged it by the amount of time she was in the in the movie, and about half of that time she was involved in a kind of a comic relief uh, droid uprising. You know, so as much as you're right, the death scene horrible. You know, um, and spoiler alert, by the way, um, but but it was just there wasn't used like. It could have been like K2SO. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they cut her down too soon. Um, you know, it was so, so like I said, I just, that was the only reason that didn't make my list because it was in, she was in such just a sliver of the movie. But let me push back and you push back with a pushback, you know, see how I did that. No, I think that's a problem less with the character, more with the story. I think there's a lot of the characters in Solo who got a short, who got short changed just because of the nature of that story and the way that the script kind of came together and the movie kind of came together. You know, whether it was Beckett or Beckett's uh, partners, whether it was uh, in some ways Chewie, you know, we got a little bit more. But we really should have gotten more a lot of these characters. We didn't. Um, but, you know, it, you know, L3 was very much in the same kind of boat as all of them. So, uh, but I do think I do think that in the short time that she did, she establishes herself as a character that's unique and different, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about about it. You know? I like the idea of her character. I like mm-hmm. what, like ultimately like um, she's going to merge with the Falcon, and that's why the Falcon is so difficult and challenging, oh. and uh, all of those sorts of little fun little details. Um, that we I remember Brittany about talking about her short story and, you know, the certain point of view, how, I mean, that was kind of a nice little retcon of, you know, you know, C-3PO saying, I don't know where your, you know, ship learned to talk, but it's got a peculiar form of dialect and it's because she's got a mouth. So, yeah, I, I, I dug and, that. And, and the ship's obstinate. You know, the hyperdrive won't kick in when the way that it's supposed to and all these things, you know, it's like it's got its own personality. Um, and I do like that retconning a lot. Um, and L3 is is entertaining by and large. So my number two, I'm just going to go back to what Dave was talking about. K2SO was my number two. Um, I, I again, I, I, I said my piece on that one. I thought he was an integral part of the whole crew. His death was as heartbreaking as any of them. And it was, I mean, and he's a computer. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it was, it it was like watching a movie and the dog dies. You know, it was, I mean, when his eyes fade away, I mean, that was heartbreaking. I mean, I remember Brittany and I, I clearly remember us in the, in the theater going, Oh, you know, that was just, it was just awful. So that again, that emotional attachment, um, you know, rebel pilot number five gets, you know, or, or the, the old red five gets killed and nobody cares. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. That's how Luke gets his, you know, call sign. Goody, you know, nobody gives a hoot. Um, but K two S O it's like, because we've gone through him or we've, you know, we've lived with him for this entire movie and we've earned, he's earned our trust. He's, you know, um, like I said, that vital member of the crew and yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm with you, Dave. It was Alan Tudyk did an awesome job realizing yeah. because it wasn't it was again, it was Irvin Kirshner saying, 
you know, I need humor without jokes. And that's, it's just that dry, sarcastic, I mean, only could come from an Imperial droid, right? You know, it's, you know, um, but then his, but then his, but also then his, his emotional attachment to Cassian when he felt bad for slapping him, you know, um, yeah, all those things. So I, I dug, uh, he's, I think he's one of my favorite characters in Rogue One. So quick question, just in between this, when do you think we'll see K2SO finally meet up with uh, Cassian in season two? Do you think we'll do it early on in season two? Or do you think it'll be somewhere? Maybe he, maybe he breaks the guy's arm. And that's why the guy can't climb out at the beginning of Rogue One. Maybe it's K two SO. We solved it. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, who knows? But uh, I have a feeling it's probably going to be. Well, they said each episode there's going to be a time jump, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So maybe think, not. Uh, maybe not straight out of the gate, but I'm guessing probably about episode two or three, because um, you got to You've got to give them time to develop a relationship, even though there's a time jump. So. You got to give them screen time. I think they need the like we don't need to see it um like as the viewer we really don't but logically it can't occur like at the end of the show no like the final episode or some nonsense like that it's like wait a minute they had this rapport they're obviously close it's like you can't no you can't tell me that that developed overnight um so yeah I, i agree with that um and like he's just not to we we can't undersell the performances of the actors right in the in these roles and in, in, in making them come alive and i think like that's why uh alan tudyk um and his performance is, is why that that character came to life the way that it did um but you're talking about uh a dry wit uh and that leads me into my next uh droid it which is uh ap5 <laughs> which oh my gosh if you put alan rickman in a droid outfit and uh set him loose on the star wars universe you'd you'd have it right there you know um it he makes me cackle with glee every time he's on screen and uh um, from by the way listeners that's from star wars rebels um yeah ap5 oh, yeah. it was uh kind of chopper c3po yeah, he becomes Chopper's buddy, uh, like midway through the series. Um, he's an Imperial droid, like K2SO, and they eventually they convert him over to their side. Um, and uh, he just becomes a character of comic relief for everyone else. Um, I'll never forget that I was sold pretty much straight away, but it was the episode when he was like drifting through space and he has like this realization of a higher plane of existence and, and a serenity and a happiness washes over him. And then, and then the ship swoops in and scoops him up and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it's so perfect because it's like, no, that's not your story. You're destined to be like, ever suffering amongst all these people that you don't want to be around. So let me ask you this. Did they, did they use him enough or not as not, or not enough? I mean, I thought it worked within the context of the story. I'd like to see him make a return. I mean, it's, um, it, he is kind of Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack that that character is like 
just it, you could tell that they kind of took it right up to the edge and then Caddyshack 2 comes out and they have you know that same type of character but they do too much of it and it becomes an annoying character um, I could argue that another droid that did not make my list they did that with C-3PO we could say that about C-3PO yeah um, that they they you know I think he was they he was doing just fine then it was like all of a sudden there was too much to the point where in Force Awakens he annoyed the junk out of me you know um but then ryan johnson comes and saves him and does it better in but anyway but i was just wondering because ap5 is that character that if i think if they would have done too many episodes that it might have gotten it would have lost effect yeah i think we you know particularly with dry wit and dry humor you have to be um a bit cautious because it's it's small amounts does great it's like seasoning you sprinkle a little bit it makes everything better but if you put too much, then it can just be a drag. And at that point, you're not really interested in it. But yeah, AP5 was one of those honorable benches of just like, I love, and I love the banter between him when he gets reprogrammed and Chopper. Because he's just like, this makes no sense. This is, you know, inefficient. You know, being an Imperial droid, it's all about efficiency. And the fact that the rebels function the way they function makes no sense. And it almost causes him pain, you know, for a droid, you know, to think about this is how they work. So I love it, their banter. Uh, for my second one, I'm going to go with one of our new favorites and I'm going to go with IG 11. Mm. Uh, I love his arc. I love the arc that we've gotten over three seasons. He starts as a bounty hunter sent to kill Grogu. He becomes, you know, he gets reprogrammed to become a nursemaid. And everybody, everybody loved his appearance at the end of season one when he just goes ham on um, Moff Gideon's troops and then really sacrifices himself. And then just the idea of bringing him back, first of all, like like a crank that Grogu controls. And then <laughs> now finally he's the Marshal of uh, Navarro. I think it's perfect. So I love because, you know, it, it's a, it leans into some of the quirky, fun nature of Star Wars that you can take a character that's one one way and then show him to become a different way without really disrupting his character, his central tenet. So I love the idea. I, I, I agree with you. Um, he didn't make my list, but, uh, but he, I'm also going to say that I kind of wish they would have found a way to get out of, you know, the ending of season one without destroying him. And I wish he would have been Din's sidekick along with Grogu through at least season two because I really liked their back and forth Din Djarin and IG-11 I, and I think that would have made some of the we talked about the exposition that Din Djarin did just by talking to Grogu and all Grogu could do is go blah, 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 you know and but if he could have had actually a conversation with that that could have led to some some nice moments um, so I wish they wouldn't have, that was another reason why he didn't make my list because they just kind of offed him too quick. You know, it was like the L3 thing. I mean, you know, the amount of screen time that he had, it was great, but I wish we would have had more. So, but I do like what Fredo mentioned about how, like he sort of evolved, um, and they've used him in different ways yeah. since that point. And I kind of had to like the whole Terminator stuff. That was I mean, like, 
that's cool. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. It was creepy and fun. And it like made me like, I'm like child of the eighties here, you know, like that stuff's great watching him like come after Grogu. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is a bad idea. Let's, let's shut him down right now. Um, and then the eventual so more elegant solution of actually just, no, he's going to be like a vehicle or a vessel for, uh, for Grogu to be able to use. And I, um, so I did kind of like the way that the, the way that they ultimately decided to use him and involve him. Um, but uh, I'm with you. I do feel like there might be some, there was some lost potential. So my number one, my number one is the OG R2, <laughs> um, R2D2. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's one of those interesting things that you see, how many astromech droids do we see? in all nine movies and you don't give a rip about any of them except for that one um i i i and it's you know when i was uh i think about the r2 builders club you know or even if you go to droid depot at galaxy's edge if i was to make a droid at droid depot i'd probably end up making one that looked exactly like r2d2 i would not pick a different color if i was in the r2 builders club i'd make my own you know droid and it would probably end up looking exactly like r2d2 because there's that much emotional attachment um when i remember when he was as when he was hit every time he gets you know shot by darth vader in um a new hope that just like, Oh my good God, you know? Um, and you're like at the end when he comes back, you know, from being, you know, shot up, you're like, Oh, thank goodness. I mean, even though it's here, we are 40 plus years later. Um, it's still, but then it's, I love the fact that this character is, he has seen it all. He's the narrator of this entire story. You know, C-3PO's mind has been wiped. Um, I mean, R2 has been, he hung out, he went with Yoda to Dagobah, you know, for the first time, you know, in season six of the Clone Wars. He, he is, like I said, he has seen everything and he has not leaked anything. You know, um, snitches get stitches and he's not a snitch. <laughs> um, but, um, so no, I just, I, I, and I loved how they used him uh, especially in Return of the Jedi, um, you know, on Jabba's sail barge. I dug that. It was kind of uh, him serving drinks. That was funny. I loved how they used him in Empire Strikes Back. Um, his interaction with Yoda. They made him into, they gave him a personality in that movie. You know, he didn't, he had a little bit of a personality in A New Hope, but he got his personality in Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then, it, like I said, so yeah, I just, he's, uh, yeah, he's the OG, so. I think you make a compelling argument. Um, he, uh, just the fact that like that new hope sequence, like you're right. I mean, you're on the edge of your seat and when he's like getting blown up by Vader and you're like, Oh no. You and then know? when you realize that Anakin owned R2 and he just shot him up, you know, again, not only did the dog get shot, but the owner shot the dog, you know, it's, <laughs> um, the um there's a cognitive dissonance um at play with this too but like honestly in phantom menace when he's his introduction his heroic turn where he's repairing the outside of the ship 
I'm like sitting there on the edge of my seat for that scene too, because I'm like, oh gosh, they're, they're, they're like, we're losing droids and they're all getting blown up. And I'm like, oh gosh, R2, I can't deal with this. It's like, you care about him. Yeah. I don't know, there's something about the design of the character and the way that he's realized through some of the acting. It was like, it's very alive, you know? And you worry, and, and again, smaller in stature so you, you you're more concerned with him he's like more of a childlike in a way um yeah i yeah, there's something about him that just draws those sorts of feelings out of you and then like you said like obviously you know he's the he's the teller of the that's, tale he's the and the teller the, the teller of the tale you know that's why i think man ryan johnson gets such a bad rap uh because that interaction between luke and r2 on the falcon when he's like there's nothing you can say that'll get me in r2 plays back a message that is 39 years old because he has that in his databank still and he's like that was the only time that he ever called back to something you know what i mean it's like i thought ryan johnson did a great job with those two droids he got it anyway Dave, what's your number two? Or number one? Number one. Number one, Chopper. Um, he, uh, I heard something about, uh, you talk about the, the, the interplay between AP5 and Chopper for me somehow elevated and superseded what we got with Super C3PO and, and R2D2. Um, and again, like we talked about R2D2 and his value. Um, and C-3PO will actually make my runner-up list, and I'll explain why. Um, but, like, the just this relationship between these two characters is, is, like, to me, what, like, takes it to the next level. That, that bickering, that, that, just that humor element. And, um, his personality, like... He's a pain in the butt. You get past the whole r2d2 like r2d2 you mentioned you know he's loyal you know he keeps his mouth shut um and you know there's some humanness to some of his movements but um chopper's a jerk <laughs> he's a jerk he's constantly doing stuff they don't want him to do he's going off and doing things on his own he's getting into hijinks it, like they're like oh you know i need you to be the one that like fixes this thing on the shit because he's like no i'm not gonna do it screw you yeah. you know um like that kind of attitude and you've never seen that in a, in a droid before now i'm going to throw i'm gonna throw this into fredo's lap here because he you know he said you know when I, my problem with l3 was that she wasn't on screen long he said it's not a problem with the character that's a problem with the writing mm-hmm. to your to that point they knew how to write chopper they yep. knew how to write chopper you know and that who was, who was voicing chopper though well, dave filoni yeah <laughs> but uh, anyway uh, my character uh, is uh is suddenly well realized uh, that's funny how that works <laughs> yeah surprise surprise the, the head writer and showrunner knows how to make himself a character where he can say whatever he wants actively involved but you know not necessarily the biggest one so it's awesome yeah i love chopper 
for my number one, I'm just I'm gonna keep it quick. It's K2SO. I think everything you guys said about the character, it hits it and around the head. He's a it's he's a character that's fully realized from the beginning. From from the first moment we meet him, when he you know, you know, grabs Jenner so by the as she's jumping out of the truck and throws her to the ground and goes, You're being rescued, don't resist. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know, that dry but you know, you know, wit that's combined with kind of like a sarcasm that combination of uh yeah we're i'm gonna follow cassian because cassian's my guy but at the same time i'm gonna mention all the ways that this is done which is much the same way as c-3po was doing in empire cassian said i had to but then get as annoying because <laughs> it was more the you know the under the breath talk of everybody's like we're all gonna die here you know that right okay no. you know uh i love the character it was like i said what realized again just on long enough that you got everything you need to know about the character that is passing impacted everybody. Uh, just well done, well done. And uh, I cannot wait for him to come back in uh, Andor season two. It's going to be happy days when that happens. So I'll give my, uh, my two honorable mentions here. Um, the, the big one is BB-8. Um, I was actually surprised by how much I liked BB-8 um, because when I remember in the first trailer, and I saw this rolly droid. I was like, what? It, it just, it, because it was a totally different design than we had seen in any droid ever. And, but again, it came down to the emotional attachment, the way they voiced him, the way that he interacted, you know, with the characters. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I, like I said, he's my, he's my honorable mention on that one. Um, my other one is B2 Emo from Andor. Mm. Um, I didn't necessarily like the design of B2 Emo, but again, Brittany and I, those, she's like, man, I, I agree with her. She said that they, Star Wars knows how to make you emotionally attached to a droid. You know, it's like the K2SO thing, B2 Emo, when, when, uh, uh, what's her butt? His, oh, you know, Marva. Yeah, yeah, Mar- when he's, when, when he's Marva. Yeah, yeah, when she dies, it's like, and you're just your heart goes out to this little box, and so you know, so yeah, he's. Uh, I hope I, I know we will. I think we'll see him in season two, and I hope that uh, you know he becomes a little bit more something. So anyway, those those are my two honorable mentions. You mentioned like a pet or a dog you know like vibe from a droid when you were earlier uh, talking yeah. about one and like this one more than any of the rest B2 emo. feel yeah. that way yeah um 100%. that's that's a pet right there um you know i would say c3po um has to be on the honorable mention list um particularly his turn uh for me in empire strikes back um which Ah, it's so funny when he, him and Han Solo just like butting heads over the course of that movie. Um, and it, it culminates in a, in this morbid, uh, like sort of tragic way uh, when he gets blown up uh, towards the end of the movie. The last third of the movie, he's been blown up. And you, it's just really sad uh, and shocking and like what's going to happen with this? It's a bit of a mystery at that point. Like what, where, where are we going with this? But you, you sort of lose sight of the fact, like I miss this character. Now <laughs> we've had all this um, tension relief through him. And now that's gone. And 
and now it's like ah where are we going now now i'm worried i'm worried about these characters that i love and um i think that was really brilliant use of that character uh in particular in that movie um I, and i like i'm going to stop you right there where you say in that movie because here's mm-hmm. my here's my little pushback on you this is why he didn't make my list i like c3po and it goes to fredo's point about the writing he's written inconsistently Mm-hmm. You get a different C-3PO from movie to movie to movie. In A New Hope, is okay. He's kind of a jerk. Empire, great. Jedi, kind of, you know, kind of forgettable. Annoying. Well, he's, he's forgettable, bit. really. You know, yeah. and then, he, then he you get to... Butler. Then, you, yeah. you know, then, you know, it's like the the, the prequels are their own thing. Um, but you know, in the sequels, it's like, you know, force awakens, he's an- really kind of annoying. I'd like, I'd like the interaction between him and Han Solo, but that was, that was about it in last Jedi. Great. Ryan Johnson wrote him great. And then in, um, rise of Skywalker, rise of Skywalker is its own thing. But, um, you know, I thought it was a little bit it, it was like if you took if it's like if you took the last jedi and force awakens and merged them together and got a c3po character but so the inconsistency of writing for that character makes mm-hmm. it a little bit just kind of um une- well it's it's uneven and just so that's why he didn't make my list and that's all because of writing and like rise of skywalker you mentioned like i like they came like an inch away from like it being like really tragic. And that you wish the stormtroopers came and blew him up again, and Chewbacca didn't put him together. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but actually, you're right. I mean, they could have, and they they could have let him just totally sacrifice himself. Yeah. And not bring yeah. him back. And and they didn't do that. But no. then like the gag, I liked that gag though. Like when it was like, wait, I thought of a different way, and then they're like, flip. <laughs> I did like that, but um, but yeah, it's just so inconsistent that character. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, no, absolutely, and it's interesting because the the C three PO you meet in A New Hope has some of the elements that we see in the following movies, but it's more played like a foil to R two D two. He's talking back. He's talking to Luke in a different way. It's a different dynamic, and even the one that he has on Empire, different dynamic from that. And then Jedi just becomes, like I said, like a fussy butler, and you end up in a position where you like doesn't feel like the same character, even if it's this, you know, acting much the same way. Like I don't know. So I'll push back on myself, but to be fair, it's mm-hmm. um, like the the best version of a song is the album that it's first released on. And then after a band does that song for 40 years, it, they've, they've changed it and it, you know, it kind of, you know, they, they add some things, they take some things away because they have to keep it interesting for themselves. But I think, you know, some of that, you know, it, it's, it doesn't have the same emotional pull. So to, to, you know, Anthony Daniels has been doing this character for the better part of 40 years consistently you know, and so I think it might be kind of tough, you know, to keep that yeah. same thing. So, I, so like I said, it's, I, you know, it's, so it's a special thing. Um, but anyway. Yeah. If you're doing the same thing over and over, it might get boring. So, yeah. 
Uh, for my honorable mention, I'm actually going to go away from the movies. Uh, Jedi Survivor just came out last week or a couple of weeks ago, oh. so I'm going to mention BD-1, which if you haven't played it, it does everything that a companion droid in a video game should do. I mean, it's just, first of all, it's cute, it's adorable, it's got big eyes, so, and, and it, you know, as it helps you accomplish things, it just tap dances, happy, it's like the happiest little puppy you've ever had. And then it just hangs off your shoulder and helps you accomplish tasks. So that's one of the things that it's like, it's got personality, it helps you out, it makes cute noises. So hits all the all the marks that would lead you to go, okay, this is gonna be a hit. But also, again, it, func it functions much in the same way as so many of the droids and Star Wars do as a complement to the story. Like if BD-1 didn't exist in the Jedi Fallen Order or Jedi Survivor series, I don't know that the Calcasters will be accomplishing any of the stuff he set out to do. Much the same way with R2, R I don't think Luke gets off that farm, you know, kind of thing, you know. So it's it's part of one of those elements that I think is so integral to, you know, with the droids of Star Wars is that in so many ways, they're not just along for the ride they're key elements of the story all right well there are our droids tell us on on twitter on facebook or on the street what are your top three droids did we miss anything um but anyway and also let us know your criteria um but i guess until we have that interaction we will say who dat and uh, everybody have a great week Monkey.